what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me across the table, Mr. Chris Fry. We are both Foot Candle Film Society founders and uh, current directors, as well as the annual Foot Candle Film Festival held in beautiful Western North Carolina every September, which we will have another one coming up this September. But we're way early to talk about that. We just finished the last festival, Chris. So we'll talk about the next festival. Eh, We'll wait, give them a couple months before we start uh, promoting that one. Sure. But no, instead today, what we're going to be doing is talking movies and films here on foot candle films. Chris and I get together. We review some newer films that are either just released in the movie theater or available for online streaming. We typically have some news to share like movie news, but honestly, Chris, we're coming up with zero for today, right? Yeah, I think, you know, we've kind of off air production meeting, we decided we'd do three reviews and that would make up for the fact that we're not going to have any news items. items. I mean, we've come through the the internet news and we're just not finding anything really that we're ready to talk about or want to talk about as far as upcoming productions or notes. So like Chris said, we're going to balance it out with an additional review. So we're actually going to review three films for you on this episode. But we are still going to have our recommendations at the end, where Chris and I both give out a recommendation of a film that either we just recently caught back up with, or maybe we just feel like need to be seen by more people. People should go back and revisit, whatever it may be. Just a good overall recommendation of something to check out. We're getting closer to the holiday season here. True. Thanksgiving's coming up in a couple weeks. People typically have a little more time to watch some movies. So we're trying to give you some ideas of ones you may want to line up on your queue. But Chris, let's go ahead and talk about the three films we are going to review today. First up, we'll be reviewing the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe film, which is a sequel to the box office smash Black Panther from, I guess, maybe three years ago. 2018. So yeah, Four years ago. ago. This is Black Panther colon Wakanda Forever. Then we'll be following up that review with a, a review of the film Breaking, which is starring John Boyega that we'll be discussing that's available now for online streaming or rental. And then our third review will be the film weird, the weird Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Ratcliffe uh, and a host of many, many other people that we will be getting into. So that film will be our third review. We'll be discussing here in a little while, but Chris, we've got uh, three big, big movies to talk about. Well, one really big movie too, that I think we're just looking forward to talking about in general. (laughs) Sure. Um, Let's go ahead and start off with our our big review, the one that just premiered this weekend. It's already uh, lighting the box office up, but let's talk about whether that's warranted or not with our review of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Only the most broken people can be great leaders.
A follow-up to 2018's Black Panther was going to be no small feat for director and co-writer Ryan Coogler. Lead actor Chadwick Boseman, who was diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016, passed away in August of 2020. His death came as a surprise to filmgoers and many in Hollywood alike. Immediately, people wondered, would there be a sequel to Black Panther? And if so, how and who would take over the title role? Alan, what's your feeling on how Coogler and company did with the attempt to follow up the highly successful 2018 film? Um, it is a mixed bag for me. Okay. In a mixed bag that's airing on the side of negative, like okay. not feeling like that they pulled this off very well. Okay. But look, I, I, I get it. This is a challenging project. Okay. Absolutely. Um, you had such a great actor, lead actor, charismatic actor playing a title character, you know, his untimely passing in real life. Obviously they had to either make a decision to address this in the film or go in a different direction. They chose to confront it pretty head on. Okay. Actually, I think the most interesting and, and I, it definitely one enjoyable, more sure. challenging part of this film. The part I admired the most was the opening five minutes of this yeah, film. Agreed. Where it was confronted head on. Oh, and yeah. I think in a very almost, almost, completely directly way, like almost like we're watching the actors respond to real, Agreed. a real event. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it was a little gutsy. I thought it was courageous to do. And I really, really admired the way they just started this film, acknowledging it right off, right off the bat. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that the opening five minutes and the way they handled it and see if you kind of got this read too. It was kind of, Similar to how I referenced, it was kind of a surprise to Hollywood and a surprise to, you know, film goers and everything about him passing. The fact that he'd been sick, they kind of mirrored that in the oh, movie yeah. as well. It was kind of like, oh, wait, what just happened? Like yes. it was kind of, you know, it was no, so later in that the was film. a very kind of touching way, but apt way to kind of like. Later in the film, that. there's a comment made by, uh, by uh, Shuri saying, yes, he was sick and we didn't know he kept it. It was a secret uh, illness he had. I'm like, wow, they're really. Right. There were, I, I really think that elements of the film made it seem like a very cathartic experience for these actors to be a part of. And sure. even the director, Ryan Coogler, I get a feeling that they really wanted to share their own personal feelings on camera. And it worked. Those gotcha. moments worked. Sure. I think the love letter to Chadwick Boseman all worked. I don't think most of the rest of the film worked, though, unfortunately. Okay. And it, that's why I say it's a mixed bag, because I think there were some really good moments and some good things that were trying to happen in this film. Sure. But this film, for me, suffered what I know you've complained about with some of these Marvel superhero movies. And I've I've been a little more aware of in the last several couple of years of seeing these films that this film, to me, felt like, let's just do as much set up and oh, world building <laughs> and laying out a groundwork for future things and seems so much less interested in a good story. Okay. On its own. Okay. So it was disappointing to me on that regard. There's a lot of good elements here, but I'm going to say overall as a whole for it to be a two hour and 40 minute film, super long. Yes. I don't really feel like we got a good story out of this film. So that's my takeaway on it. There's a lot of things I liked. Sure. But I will say if I look back on it, having walked away from the theater just last night, I, I don't 
there's not a lot that sticks with me. There's not a lot of us. There's no story that I can say, wow, they really told a good story with this film. I didn't feel like they did at all. So, okay. So yeah, I think you and I are basically on the same page, but it sounds like I was a little bit more forgiving (laughs) of the film than you were. Um, I will say overall, like it was exact. I wouldn't say I was let down by this film. I think it was kind of exactly what I thought it would be. I did appreciate the way they, paid tribute mm-hmm. to um, Chadwick Boseman. I will say I thought um, a, a mid-sequence or mid credit sequence was a little a little heavy-handed maybe. Um, mm. But the rest of it I thought was well-handled. I thought it was good. Um, I think there was great potential here uh, for there to be a much better film. And it surprised me when they were going. I was like, oh, that's some interesting commentary we're going to have. And it comes into play when they're telling the story of these two societies that have basically lived in peace and lived by themselves. We have Wakanda, which is the one everybody knows about. And then there's this un- other undersea kingdom that Namor, who's the new like bad guy in this film, he's kind of been ruling as Marvel's version of kind of Aquaman. <laughs> he's down mm-hmm. there doing stuff. Um, And basically it comes to he has now been exposed and he kind of blames it on Wakanda because his kingdom also apparently has, is it vibranium? Is that the? Yes. Okay. So then humans are then coming into contact with his world underwater. And he's like, well, I blame you guys because they didn't even know. And so now he's like, I've got to fight back against these people because he personally, apparently because he has, he's not an eternal he's not but he does live for he does he is a mutant and he lives for a very long time so he has had experience with um his people being like invaded by Mm -hmm. explorers back in the day and he remembers how they came in and they a made a lot of people sick because they brought over illnesses with them but he's like it was it was no good yeah and so i've had experience with this and now here they are going to do it again and i'm gonna i'm gonna fight back and he reaches out to Wakanda and kind of says, I expect you to kind of help me with this because it's your fault. And I understand that you are likewise having to deal with these pressures. So I thought there was a lot of interesting dynamics that could have been made there. Yeah. And actually giving his backstory, you know, normally like, yeah, I'm not familiar with the Marvel. I know who mm-hmm. he is, but I wasn't aware of his backstory. And for me to somewhat think a character that has wings on his feet mm-hmm. <laughs> is that worthwhile? I was like, Oh, and they, they did his backstory, but they did it kind of, you know, I, th- I thought they did it very expediently and it didn't take away from the rest of the film. But, but I will say, so, you know, well, I, what I, you just described, yes, you're all on board. It's really good. I don't understand. And I, you know, we've talked about it before. We've kind of complained about it, but I feel like this is one of the most glaring examples of this the underwater stuff was all very like murky and kind of hard to see and Mm -hmm. not impressive. And I don't know if it was just like a stylistic choice or whether I don't, I don't understand because we've seen things like Aquaman and we've seen things like, uh, Phantom Menace where you go underwater Mm -hmm. with like the, you know, Jar Jar Binks characters and I, not the same at all. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I found it really disappointing in such a, like you have um, Shuri who goes with Namor there and he's trying to kind of, this is when a lot of the exposition happens and he tells it and that part works. But when she is just kind of wide eyed at all the glory that she's seeing, I'm like, really, you can actually see what you're looking at. You're from (laughs) Wakanda, which is like a really amazing uh, looking city and and all this underwater was not terribly impressive. I'm with you on that. So that, that, 
was dense. Chris, that, that, that concept you talked about, the two societies that have both been hidden from the world and uh, fearful of what human interaction is going to do. For good or, reason. Or, or the outside world. I shouldn't say human. They're all human or at least a version of human. Uh, yes, that all works. I like that dynamic in it. Um, I just think it got really muddy in the way they decided to tell the story. And, and I also just found myself really not quite knowing what, what the end messaging is meant to be here. Oh, that whole takeaway. I really, really liked the Namor character. Uh, Tanash Hurata, I thought was really good. Very charismatic. I liked him. Yes, he is a character from the comics that's been around, honestly, since like the 1930s. And he does have wing on his feet? He does, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Actually, you said it's like it's like Marvel's version of Aquaman. Aquaman. Actually, Aquaman is Mar- is DC's version of Namor. Okay, because Namor Namor's been around first. since the 30s and okay. 40s. He has been around for a long time. Fair enough. So um, I just thought, I thought the way they had his character played was really well done. I liked it a lot. I wish I could say the same for the rest of his underwater community and I got confused between some people are blue, some people are not. And I'm trying to still <laughs> understand who's the blue people versus the non blue people. Yeah. Um, it was a little muddy. It was a little tough there. Right. Um, and then I think this film has a real issue with it's the subplots that just weigh this thing down. Oh man. So bad. Okay. Um, oh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. That was, I Groaned. Well, I so we do have her. Julia Louise Dreyfus and Martin, Martin Freeman. Freeman. Which I understand Martin Freeman was in the He's first, in the first one, but then what was the point of either of them being in this film? There's not. There's not, other than trying to set up some some threads for future stuff, which, which that was, was prof- annoying, profoundly irritating. And then me. there's a whole other subplot with uh, Riri Williams, who's played by Dominique Thorne. I know why she's in this film. Okay. See, okay. See, now you're making me come across as the guy who hates it a lot more. Yeah. The Julia Louise no. Dreyfus and Martin Freeman part didn't care for. I understood why Martin Freeman was there at the beginning. Well, at least. And they kept having him come back in. And I thought that was profoundly irritating. The Riri Williams care, like, she, at first, I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's, she was the reason that the vibranium, oh, okay. But then she just kept getting a bigger and mm-hmm. bigger and bigger role. And at the end, her role in like the action sequence was oh, just Look, head shakingly. I, I, I know I mean, why she was brought into this film. She, she plays Riri Williams, which is a, she's a young uh, college age scientist who created a machine that kind of sets off a lot of the issues in the film, the plot of the film. Sure. So Namor is trying to have her kidnapped or killed or killed. And yeah. Wakanda is looking to help protect her. So that kind of gives a setup. But she's brought in because she is. She's got a Marvel a, a Disney franchise. Plus. She's building. got a Disney Plus series. It's going to be uh, of her. Oh yeah, that's oh, already been wow. in the plans for a while. Oh wow. Uh, she's got a Disney Plus series about her. She's kind of the <sighs> next Iron Man version type of character. Well, I, I mean, I figured. Okay. Yeah. But again, if you were to take out her whole subplot, mm-hmm. okay, which there's ways to make the story work without oh, her, absolutely. And you take out the Julie Louise Dreyfus and Martin Freeman subplot. You shave probably 30 minutes off this film. Which, much better And film. I think it would have been a much tighter film. I think it would have made more sense. I think it would not have seemed so superfluous. It just would have worked. So, yeah, that to me was two areas where I know what Marvel was doing. I know they're laying the groundwork for other things to come. But it just really, in this film, more than other Marvel films I've seen, I felt like it just weighted this film down so much. Mm-hmm. 
to where at the end of the film, I just felt like there's a lot that was thrown out there and very little of it really resonated or landed. Um, so it was, it was I, I, I wonder, I always speculate between creative visions of directors and studios, like who's sure. pulling the chains here. And this and another one that seemed like was right split down the middle. There were times and moments and scenes. I'm like, wow, that was really good. That was really well done. I see a, a vision at play here. And then there's others. I'm like, nope, that's totally studio said. You must have this character <laughs> and they must say these things to make sure we set up for this. And right. All that. So that was a film that this is a film that's really split and uh, between those two worlds. And I think it suffers for it. So I, something else that, and maybe it's a complication of the movie would have been different had Chadwick Boseman not passed away. So you can't, you, you know, who knows, but Letitia Wright's Shuri never really won me over. Yeah. And, um, I, because it just seemed kind of forced and they were kind of retooling the idea and the plot for the sequel because of Boseman's passing. I guess because I found the character of Nakia played by Lupita Nyong'o so much more like interesting and nuanced. I'll say her and even uh, Dania Gura as Akoya. Oh yeah. Both of them were, I thought much more captivating leads for this. And I'm not saying anything about Letitia Wright's acting ability here. No, just the the way the character was written. I agree. Um, In the first film, her character was the little sister, mm-hmm. but you know she's a genius. She's right. a technical marvel. She has a light sense of humor to her. She's very kind of uh, a lot of energy, a lot of. And I understand in the early parts of this film, yes, we're not going to see that because right. she's dealing with the untimely, uh, sudden death of her brother. Right. But we, the film does go a year down the road. Right. And I feel like she's not any different, and we're kind of left with a character that's still. I get it, hung up and, and focused on this death, but I just never felt like we saw anything more of her as a character. And, and you know, it's just the same kind of repeating the same motive with her the whole two and a half hours. And there's an interesting, I agree. And then what made it hard for me too, was there's a sequence where she confronts through some hallucinogenic stuff. She confronts oh, yeah. an interesting character yeah. that makes her recognize the rage in herself. But then yet, I don't buy that she then has a change of heart and like suddenly turns around. So no. it's like there wasn't, and it, like, like you say, nothing to do with her acting ability or anything. It's just the character itself. Yeah. She has this progression of being sad and mourning her brother and having rage and then has this turning point that's not a turning point. And then magically at the end of the time, you're like, oh, um, okay, she's okay. And I never really bought when she does confront that character and that vision that you're referring to. I never thought up to that point that rage was what was consuming her. I thought sadness, sadness, but I never saw rage. So when that scene happened, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. What, where's this coming from? And then you're right. It kind of just laid dead on the vine there. And there's a moment in a final confrontation where you're supposed to have a feeling that there's a, a change, but it just all seemed very forced. And I just don't, I didn't buy the development of her, her character at all. Okay. Two things that were kind of, and there again, I'm going to avoid spoilers and stuff. Two things that were kind of head-shaking for me as well, or, or just didn't understand. There's a battle where Shuri gets what I would assume would be a mortal wound. Yeah. And then basically just kind of pats her side, and we go on. And I'm like, okay, do what? That was a little... Did, did that Was that confusing to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And it never addressed, never, never said anything addressed. like, I don't really understand what just happened. Yeah. Okay. 
that was one question. Okay, and then this is opinion. I'll see if you follow. Namor's last scene on screen for me was a bit of a head scratcher because it undercut some moments that came before about kind of things, lessons that had been learned or themes. And then it kind of like, for me, it kind of felt like he, Namor's character was just kind of shrugging off. It's like, meh, 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 meh. Well, <laughs> kind of, it kind of undercuts stuff. And there again, maybe right. it's setting stuff up. And maybe but that scene is, that scene is Namor. Okay. In the comics, Namor has always waffled between being a villain and being a hero. And, you know, there are some moments where he's been a hero and worked with other superheroes and all. And then there's been times where he's been the villain because he feels well, like he wants to take the human surface people down. Uh, and, I, and, and I think this, that the last shade scene, of, like there was just it was just kind of like, wait, but he's what? also been very cocky and flamboyant. And I think that was okay. it, I think the last scene was kind of like him. Like, yeah. I played along with it because I, here's why, and here's why I think this is still going to be good for us down the road type of thing. Okay. See, not knowing the character's backstory like that, I feel like that could have been communicated probably better so. yeah. or something. He's but. always been a little conceited and pompous in the, the, the source material. Okay. And I kind of felt like they, as the film went on, they, they showed more of that with him, uh, especially when he got downright threatening with like some of the Wakanda family members sure. and all, you know, there's definitely some evil, like some oh, yeah. mean evilness with him, but he's also trying to protect his people. He's trying to do right by his people. So it's kind of a mixed bag with him. He's hmm. always been kind of that anti-hero, okay. anti-villain type of character. Um, hmm. Yeah, so that part didn't bother me as much. But no, the 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 what seemed to be a mortal wound <laughs> with Shuri, yes, that was confusing. Um, and I'll just say this, and I'm going to say this as tactfully as I can without spoiling if you've seen any of the trailers, you know that someone else dons a mantle during the film. Right. I'm not going to say who it, who it okay, is. Okay, got you. Who the However, new Black Panther is. The choice for that made no sense to me. Okay? Um, for reasons I'd, I'd have to get into the spoiler, but I found myself, because of that vision scene that you described because of some other things leading up to it, because there being many other candidates that I thought were probably <laughs> a much better fit given a lot of things. I, I just, I, I wonder that question. I'm mean, like, really? That's, that's about as predictable as I expected it to be. And I was hoping they were maybe going I, to do something a little different. I agree that I was kind of surprised that, yeah, because and it's the candidates. And it just doesn't seem. Yeah. yeah there are like you. two people, one of them standing right next to the person <laughs> who becomes the Black Panther. I'm like, that would have been, that's perfect. That's, that's who you need. And it's like, no, they went with what may have been a little more of an obvious choice. And it's like, yeah, but I just didn't get it. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't see the rationale for that. So anyway, that being said, fair enough. Um, you know, some of the action scenes I thought were okay. We're fine. I mean, there is a big battle scene on kind of a floating barge type of uh -huh. device, which I thought, was pretty fun, but that was pretty. I good. thought it was pretty cool. There were some cool things that were done with, you know, some of the members of one of the tribes kind of helping the other, like propelling down the side of a, the, the ship, and yes. it's just some cool stuff. I'm like, yes, this I like this. This kind of action scene is good, um, <laughs> and it didn't suffer from what the original Black Panther movie did, which was the last 20 minutes of that film was just a CGI person versus a CGI person fighting and like. Mm. 
these crazy underground train situations and it just all seems so artificial. Right. I didn't feel that with this. No, I actually no. felt like the action scenes were pretty good. I felt like, you know, some of the the energy of those scenes was was really nice. Um Yeah. I agree. And I think acting overall was good. Again, I, I will say I really liked uh Tanachi Urda as Namor. Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda, I thought was very good. Agreed. Winston Duke. I always like Winston Duke, and he's great as Mabaku. And I remember him from the first film, but I appreciate his increased role yeah. in this one. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a good Yeah, but uh, I just felt like there's too much world building, too much scene setting for future things that distracted from what could have been a much, much more powerful story. And I think the core of the story was good. The whole two civilizations, both with a different approach to how they view the rest of society. But it just uh, it just got too muddled and it got too long. <laughs> and um, by the end of the film, I think we just kind of lost like what it is we were trying to do with this. Sure. So, yeah. Um, I, I can't really recommend it too heartily. I mean, if you are a Marvel completist, sure. Yeah, you probably need to see it. And yeah, I'm sure there's most subplots that I, I wish were taken away. I'm sure they are going to lead somewhere and pay off or something for somebody. But um, if you really like the first Black Panther, I, I got a feeling you're going to come away from this a little disappointed. Mm. So now I wasn't the biggest fan of that initial Black Panther. I thought it was good. I thought Bozeman was really good, but right. I didn't quite get the fervor that it did with, with the box office. But this one was still even more so a step down for me from, from that other one. So gotcha. Yeah. I think we're kind of on the same page with it. So I thought I was going to end up defending it a little more, but it sounds like the things that I like you appreciated about it. I I did. I did. I, uh, again, I think there's a lot of good elements here, but it is two hours and 40 minutes (laughs) long and it's just kind of exhausting movie. There's just a lot going on. Right. That I think, 30% 30% of it does not need to be there. And I think the film would have served so much better without it. So, Agreed. okay. Well, that is Wakanda forever. It's going to be in the the uh, movie theaters for a while now. It's doing pretty good. So this is just opening weekend. Is it the last Marvel film for the year? I would mm-hmm. assume we're in November. Now, I guess the Christmas special for guardians of the galaxy, but that'll yeah. be Disney. Plus. That'll just be Disney plus. Okay. Yeah. The next feature film for Marvel is uh Ant-Man quantum okay. mania. Okay. Which is coming out February, March, February, March okay. I think. Yep. Okay. I think that's the only other one we've got kind of teased out that we've seen a trailer for that's out there. ready to go. Sure. Um, so yeah, that'll be the next one. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about our second film, which is the John Boyega starring film breaking. Leave right now. The guy in the gray hoodie is robbing the bank. Who's in charge here? Well, she is, but we're both. I'm, I'm the manager. Estelle Valerie. Estelle, uh, once they leave, you lock the front and back doors, you understand me? You lock them all. With the film Breaking, we have John Boyega starring as Brian Brown Easley, a, a story with a story that's based on true story of Mr. Easley, Brown Easley's life. Uh, directed by Abby Damaris Corbin, her first real feature film. She's done a lot of short films, but this is the first one as a feature-length film. And with John Boyega in general, I, I do want to say kind of setting this film up, him getting to play, a, a, he's playing a Marine War veteran who we learn through the course of the film is facing some mental and maybe some emotional challenges. 
as he's dealing with uh, trying to support the family, he's trying to support himself, but realizing that he has been, what in his mind, wronged by the Veterans um, Association, where he's not receiving the payments or money that he's expecting, that he's basically depending on to live on and yes. to be uh, back reacclimated into society. That leaves him to a decision to not really hold up a bank, more of a, I mean, he's not robbing the bank. He's just kind of staging a presence at this bank to get attention for what he's looking for. Right. Um, it turns into a little bit of a hostage uh, negotiation. It's a hostage, hostage negotiation. Hostage, hostage negotiation film with a little bit of drama and tension built up in it as well. Sure. The big thing for me is this is, I think, the first film I've seen a starring role for John Boyega himself. You may know him as um, Finn. Finn. Yep. From the newest Star Wars films that came out, the, uh, the the latest trilogy of films. But you got to start also with Attack on the Block, mm-hmm. um, which he was good and fun in. But this is really his film to carry and take. So, Chris, with all that set up about the film, the plot, the director, uh, how did this work for you? This was a really un- underseen film. It did not last long in the theaters. We had a chance to show it at our film society. Kind of, What's your takeaway on this film? What worked for you or didn't? I mean, the film worked for me. Um, it, it helps that it does based on a true story. So that way, you know, how it mirrors aspects of Dog Day Afternoon, which was a, you know, more of a classic film with Al Pacino where they hold up a bank. And so the fact that it you know, has familiar type tropes, you know, and the police come and it's a standoff. You know, the fact that it was based on a true story helped this film kind of retain its uniqueness. Um, and Boyega, I thought was really good. I've never seen him have, like you mentioned, kind of a lead dramatic role. Um, I think he was in that film Detroit, which uh, was oh. a chance for him to be dramatic. But this what? is more of like, I mean, it's a much smaller scale film, yeah. you know, much smaller cast of characters and stuff. Um, so I thought he did a really good job. And it's interesting. You know, I mentioned one film that is similar to that Dog Day Afternoon um, there's another one, which I have not seen, but I understand from hearing about it, stars Denzel Washington. I think it's called John Q or something, mm. where he likewise is somebody that needs some money and is in kind of a desperate situation. And I think maybe does a hostage situation with a bank or something. Okay. That one I think is based on events, but didn't actually like, this is much closer to true events and probably different events. And But anyways, I mm. thought this film was unique enough and the performances were strong enough that it stood on its own. Um, one of the other performances I'll call out, uh, who the film is dedicated to, uh, Michael K. Williams, who mm. was a actor that passed away in 2020, I think this was his last film. This was his made, last yeah. big screen role, Michael K. Williams. And a lot of people know him from like the wire and stuff. Um, I thought he was, I thought he was great. He yeah. plays kind of what, who they bring in as a hostage negotiator. And, the way he was able to work with Boyega, even though they don't meet face to face, they're talking mm-hmm. over the phone, all that. I felt like it was a believable relationship that was formed between the men. Yeah. Um, a standout for me too. I'll say before I give you a chance to give your initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, the bank manager was played mm-hmm. by Nicole Bahari, which I don't think I've seen her in anything else. So she was new to me. She's been in a lot of films and done a lot of work, but she was new to me and mm-hmm. I thought she was really strong because she basically has to kind of stand up to John Boyega's character or they, you know, mm-hmm. they have a lot of scenes back and forth and she has to kind of, 
you know, protect herself and protect the one other employee that's left inside. So I thought that was that was strong. But what mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts on the film? No, yeah, I I like this film quite a bit. I thought it was I was good. I'm echoing all the acting accolades you just gave. I thought everybody on this was great. Salinas Lavia as Rose Diaz, another mem- person in the bank that was held hostage, having to play a di- very different role from the bank manager you mentioned, but both really, really good. And I'll call um, it, she's, people might be familiar with her if you don't recognize her name. Orange is the New Black. Yeah, you yeah. definitely recognize the face from yeah. Orange is the New Black. And then you even have Connie Britton, who is kind of working with a news uh, news station, gets involved in the, the situation herself. Small role, but um, I, all of them, very, very good. John Boyega, I thought, was great. I thought yeah. he really, really loved his performance. I loved every moment he was on screen and kind of... Um, working with the situation. I think what I probably admired about this film is that um, for the most part, a couple of things I'll, I will pick on it on in a little bit here. Some things I think it missed the mark on, but okay. it, it, it was fine staying small. Okay. And I was good with that. I was so fearful. This film was going to turn into a much bigger, not an action movie, but bigger thriller, bigger, you know, um, higher stakes movie and it didn't do they keep it very contained it's very contained it's very simple um my misgiving with the film however as much as i did enjoy it there's some really interesting topics at discussion here Mm. that i feel like the film by the end of the film really has no interest in talking about okay which i thought was a shame okay i mean you have the whole Issue, which is a real life issue with the Veterans Administration, kind of the VA. I mean, we actually even got into a conversation after our film screening with some people who have had experience with the VA and said, yes, this is this is a problem. This is an issue of the kind of how funds are allocated or how funds are distributed or not distributed. And some veterans left out in the, in the cold because of it. Mm-hmm. That's a really important issue. And then you've got Brian Brown Easley's mental situation. You get hints that maybe it's PTSD to some degree because of some flashbacks he has back to his military days, whether it's other longer seated mental co- concerns. His ex-wife at one point talked to him about you know, missing medications yeah, or right. if he's, you know, taking his meds. Sure. So again, some interesting things that I would have loved to get deeper into. But by the end of the film, I really felt like the film was all about let's have a really uh, tense negotiating situation. Which it did which succeed it did, in that. And it was good. Right. But that's all we were interested in doing by I the see. end of the film. And it just kind of ended with a, yep, okay, and we're done. And I'm like, oh, man, there was a lot left on the table. <laughs> there was a lot of interesting things that could have been explored further. And I felt like I felt like the film just decided by the end, by midway through the film, it's like, nah, let's just, let's just make it a really tense uh, negotiation situation. And let's just roll with that. We're not going to really touch on this other stuff. And I, it was a little disappointing in that regard. But. Overall, I still really enjoyed it for what it was. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think it being uh, the director, Abby Corbin's first film, I think there were a lot of issues that were, you've mentioned, you know, handling of veterans, mental illness. Then there's the obvious one of just race because yeah, the yeah. way, you know, sure. race, yep. mm-hmm. poverty, um, and a little bit too of news media and news coverage yeah. and how it was You're being right. used mm-hmm. and, you know, John Boyega's character, the Marine, he comments on that and says, oh, you're just showing this because of this. And, you know, yeah, there, you're right. there is a lot going on there. And I think, I mean, they kept it at a hour, 43 minutes. They tried to keep it pretty tight. I think they did. They didn't broaden the scope too much, like you're mm-hmm. saying. There were a lot of issues that 
if maybe they would have tried to touch on a little more would have made it ultimately a little bit more satisfying. But I agree with you as it was, it was still a great yeah, yeah. for what they decided and ended up to show us. Sure. I thought it worked and it was, I hate saying entertaining cause this is, it's a tough story. It's a tough watch, but I think it was a very engaging film. Uh, if nothing else, John Boyega to me just still carried this. And I agree with Michael K. Williams. I wish we actually had more of him in the film. Mm-hmm. He kind of shows up halfway through and his role is very separated from like a negotiator would be. He's on the phone. Right. But there are some moments where he, the Eli Bernard, the negotiator character, some little touches they made with the story, whether this actually happened or not, where he's reaching out to the ex-wife and having right. a conversation with her, a simple, a simple motion like, Hey, can we turn on FaceTime? Cause I'd like to see you. See you. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's really like just little touches of his character to say it's more, they could have just made it so easy and been like, Oh, well, he's just this super nice negotiator that cares for people. No, you actually see it through his actions. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be told that you see it. And I love the way they played that character. And then John Boyega's character, same idea. They could have gone so stereotypical and been like, okay, he's just has some mental issues and he's holding up this bank and he's putting these two women uh, that work at the bank, their lives in danger. But you get so much from him of, he doesn't know what else to do. Right. He does not want to hurt anyone. He has no intentions of doing that. It's just, he, this is the only route. He's he knows at his, his wits head. end. He's he like, is. okay. And unfortunately two other people got in the mix and he needed them to some degree for leverage, but he felt guilty about it the whole time. I mean, mm-hmm. he just, you could just tell he, he was anguished about that's it. That's right. I love the fact that we saw the anguish mm-hmm. and it wasn't just, let's just roll out as him being somebody who's just vindictive and wants something and he's going to do whatever he needs to do to get it. I, I just like the nuanced performances on both sides with these two characters. So, um, yeah, it was really good. It was a surprisingly really good movie. I, Again, did not get a lot of attention. I think it was in the movie theaters for maybe a week. Mm-hmm. Um, already online, available to rent and see. So it had a very short lifespan, but um, it's a good movie. It's a very, very good movie. Very, uh, I appreciated it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm same page, especially if you like John Boyega and want to see more of his work. That's definitely a film of his you should check out. One complaint I know I got from some of our discussions after screening the film, which I kind of see a little bit. Um, I felt like there was some moments that were maybe a little overplayed. Hmm. Okay. The police reaction to the situation. Um, I mean, basically once we're made, once the police are made aware of what's going on in this bank, I mean, realistic or not a giant tactical tent set up like within minutes of it with, Mm -hmm rows and rows and rows of ammunition. I I don't know how much of that was, okay, yeah, this is truly what the reaction would be or how much of it is played up as a, look how big a response we're going for because it's a African-American male in there or how much of it is because they want to show the the police forces being over the top in their way they're going to handle this. I don't know. Um, But I do feel like there was maybe some possible over-dramatization of the situation possibly from a let's heighten it from a, a Hollywood standpoint. Sure. Um, I, don't I don't know. That's more of a question mark. I'm not saying you're a criticism, just something to, to kind of stick with me afterwards wondering. Um, but I thought really good film, uh, really well made. I think director wise. I mean, 
There's, there's some good, there's a good, some directing chops here going on. Sure. And, uh, and from what I could tell about the two other shorts that I could see that she'd made, it seems like she's interested and she co-wrote this, um, as well as directed. It seems like she is interested in kind of social issue films. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what she does next, like her career, if it's making, you know, thriller, or whatever, based on real life instances and has that thread of, you know, social consciousness or which social is, issues, which is why I guess I was a little disappointed that it didn't dig deeper into any of those I issues. Cause I did see her background as well. I'm like, Oh, this was a good opportunity to bring something. You just pick any one of those issues and say, we're going to kind of hone in on this and let's, let's explore this a little further. And I felt like midway through the film, the, the film kind of forgot about all those and hmm. just wanted to be a, a taut thriller, which yeah, it was, um, but it could have been more. So gotcha. yeah, but I did like uh, breaking quite a bit. So that's available. Now you can actually watch it online, rent it, I don't know about streaming, like, you know, subscription streaming, but I know it's available for at least rental and purchase right now. So that is Breaking by Abby Damaris Corbin, starring John Boyega. All right, Chris. So we've got one more review to do. How about we take a quick little break? Come back. We'll do the third review, the film Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story. And then we'll also cap off with our recommendations for the episode Chris and I both have a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. We're going to roll right into our third review, which is the film Weird, the Al Yankovic story. I'm tired of people thinking I'm some kind of joke. Your dad and I agreed it would be best if you just stop being who you are and doing the things you love. My whole life, all I wanted. I'm afraid we found your son at a polka party. Just to make up new words to a song that already exists. Oh, well, you should do that then. A Weird Al movie that, according to the film's logline, explores every facet of Yankovic's life from his meteoric rise to fame with early hits like Eat It and Like a Surgeon to his torrid celebrity love affairs and famously depraved lifestyle. Sounds like a typical biopic, but knowing the subject matter and the marketing from the trailer... You can expect something a bit weird. Alan, did this film deliver a unique enough biopic experience for you? Or did you find yourself thinking it was little more than a walk hard or pop star never stop, never stopping retread? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, this, this, this movie worked for me. Okay. I think you giving the comparisons to walk hard and pop star are very apt. Um, I, and I guess for the purpose of this review, we're just going to have to say, I mean, this is a, this is a made up what? biography film. What? I, know. So <laughs> I, I just don't know any other way to review this without sure. tipping that. And I think we're probably, I think anybody sees it. If you guess stuff from the that, trailer, you can kind of, you're probably going to figure it out. It is a completely fabricated um, biography of Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, it is played much more for laughs, much like a, uh, Zucker Brothers, Naked Gun, uh, or like you mentioned, Wall Card, Pop Star, absurdist comedy sure. version of a musical biopic. Now, from that regard, 
Did Walcard do it a little better? Yeah, I think so. I liked, I still like Walcard, the Dewey Cox story. I still think that's the perfect send up of the musical biopic. Gotcha. This one's, this one's pretty good though. Uh, <laughs> this one's still pretty good. I mean, it, it hits a lot of the same beats. You got to have your character starting from a very rough childhood beginnings. Right. Got to hit meteoric fame. Sure. Then come crashing back down and rise from it. I mean, it's the same thing you see from any musical biopic. And this one has fun with that same format. And I'm, uh, I'm not going to get into spoilers because yeah. I do feel like there are some moments that thankfully uh, this premiered on the Roku channel. And as far as I know, that is the only way you can see it is on the Roku channel. It's free. But um, that's the only way you can see it. So I don't want to spoil anything because some people may not mm. have had a chance to see it yet. And I enjoyed not having certain elements of this movie spoiled. Sure. But um, <laughs> there's, yeah, I have to say what sets it apart in my mind that I almost don't think it's a fair comparison, even though I, I was the one who compared it to Walkar and Popstar, which I like both those films. I may kind of go a little bit more on the Popstar side, actually. Okay. But what's so impressive to me about this is it is fake, but the degree to which it pokes fun at Weird Al, at mm-hmm. Al Yankovic, and just does not let up at poking fun. And it's just so ridiculously fake, the leaks, links that they go to. I just admire because, okay, for instance, Walk Hard or Popstar, they have an easier time poking fun because the person doesn't exist. Yeah, it's but a, when it's you a are, fictional character. When you are yeah. fighting against you know, even if you know nothing about Weird Al, you know, like, oh, yeah, I can at least I'm familiar with a song or I've heard of these songs before. Even if you're not a fan, you know, you and like you're like the sitting there the whole time. Like, no, this is nothing but made up junk, but it's still entertaining. It's so funny. <laughs> so I think that's what separates itself from those other two, even though I like both of those other ones. But yeah. this is like its own little mm-hmm. animal. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It's very, very unique. Um like I, I remember when the announcement was made about Daniel Radcliffe playing mm. Al Yankovic, who is amazing. Yes, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, "Huh, that's that's not the choice I would have made for playing Al Yankovic." Mm. Now, having seen the film, <laughs> I see in a way that's part of the joke. I think a little bit of it. Okay, I mean Daniel Radcliffe is a a lot shorter than Al Yankovic is. Um, ripped in places too. I mean, my gosh, <laughs> like showing him shirtless. I'm like, yeah, there's, right. they, they obviously are yes. playing with this character. Absolutely. Type. So it did make more sense. The casting of Daniel Ratcliffe in this. Now that I've seen the tone of the film that they were going for. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this, I, I think the writing on this was really strong and that there are honestly probably three or four scenes in this film. That I think are some of the funniest things I've seen in a, quite a while. Um, and I love the, yes. Okay. It may be quote easy to lampoon the musical biopic. Sure. But they actually made some decisions <laughs> that I thought were just genius. Mm-hmm. One involving uh, the song, eat it. Yes. Which one of weird Al's biggest hits, mm-hmm. but the origins of that film uh, of that song are portrayed very differently here. And are amazingly done. So yeah. Yes. And done in a way that's just, <laughs> yeah, it kind of takes you back the direction they take with it at first until you realize what they're doing. And then it becomes really, really just very, very, it's like well very done. meta and yes. very funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'll say, you know, commenting on that too, 
you know, you mentioned the typical path of these films and the way they, you know, kept close to that typical rise and fall where this film ends with an award acceptance speech is also kind of chef's and kiss, really chef's does, kiss brilliant. And it does end, oh, which, absolutely. Is, which is, I think even more amazing about the film is it just ends <laughs> yeah. yep. on a note that was not expected. And, uh, no. Yeah. So it was really good. I, uh, I would call out some, some things sure. here. Um, I thought rain Wilson as Dr. Demento was really good. You know, I did too. And I'll have to say seeing him as, and I'd known because I saw the trailer, I was like, Oh, there's rain Wilson. Everybody knows him as Dwight from the office. And I, I've seen him in some things, but like, haven't really like, mm -hmm. you know, seen him in a major role or seen him in a big picture or something to really appreciate. I mean, he was in Juno, I think for a little bit, yeah. but I was like, wow. And I, maybe it's just an example of perfect casting or maybe like, I don't know, but I was just like, he, I thought he was really, 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 as someone really good. who listened to Dr. Demento <laughs> as a kid at times. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty, it was really good. And he just seemed to be ha both him and Daniel oh. having a blast. Everybody's having See, a really good time making this film. Um, I got to call out Toby Huss mm -hmm. who plays the father. Mm -hmm. um, I get the feeling he's played the demanding overbearing father before because <laughs> he just seems like that's his character. Right. But um, I did love some of the turn of that character and some of the, yeah, it just, he plays the, uh, these very stereotypical demanding father sure. who doesn't want his son to follow this musical journey who works at a factory, but he's not going to tell you what they make <laughs> at the factory. The <laughs> little details like that, yeah. like, because you don't deserve to know unless right. you work at the factory. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. Um, <laughs> Evan, Rachel Wood, Evan, Rachel Wood is Madonna. Yeah. Um, this film shockingly anti Madonna. And I'm hoping Madonna is like on board for this. I, th <laughs> I think that makes it more fun if she actually signed off on this or said, yes, with my blessing, please make me out to be a really bad person <laughs> right. on this film. But, uh, I, I, I've got to think that there's, they're all in on the joke there because uh, I would think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many others, a lot of other small parts in this. Thomas Lennon, who's I've always liked, I think it's hilarious. He's plays the accordion, a, accordion salesman, yeah. Yeah. and that scene killed me. That was a was great, very very funny scene. Um, so yeah, you had a lot of other people woven in this film as well. Um, Weird Al's friends, his three buddies that uh, he are roommates with, that help encourage his career, and then miraculously you find out they're also musicians, which nobody knew until the opportune time. It's yep. just little moments like that. Just, it made all the story. The story was the strongest suit of this. I mean, mm -hmm. I think filmmaking wise, uh, Eric Appel's the director. He's mostly done a lot of TV work. And he's funny done, or die stuff, right? funny or die TV. He did some episodes of Brooklyn nine, nine. Mm -hmm. He's done episodes of some other, um, more comedy related shorts. So yeah, I, I think his, his his uh, his directorial approach worked for this film for sure. Didn't distract from it. I think it was just the right the, the right balance. Um, everybody's in on the joke. Everybody's having a good time with this. Um, but the writing itself was just really clever. I mean, as clever as a send up of musical biopics can be. And I think we are talking like you and I talked the other day. I think there really has just been these three. Right. I mean, you brought up technically you could say Spinal Tap, but that was more of a different. Yeah, take, to me, that's a, that was a fake documentary right. as opposed to a fake. Uh, it wasn't a musical biopic. It right. wasn't a biography of Spinal Tap. 
where biography send up musical biography send ups. I think we're basically talking Walcard, sure. um, pop star, and now this one, right? So, and you're right, this one being the one that's different because it's a real real it's life real character, person. and Al Yankovic himself in the film playing a part of one of the Scotty Brothers, which is just hilarious because I remember Scotty Brothers label like the little tiger head on the album oh, cover. Okay. I remember all that. So to have Al Yankovic and Will Forte playing the Scotty Brothers, which they were also very funny, yeah. uh, really worked for me. So overall, it was a it was a weird movie, and in a yeah. good way weird. I uh, had a lot of fun with it, um, and it it took. I think I watched it with somebody. It took them maybe ten minutes to realize, oh yeah, this is not real. Okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> okay. I think people will cue this up thinking that they're watching oh. an actual biography of Al Yankovic, and just right. we're here to say. It's a lot more than that, but it's also, I think because they realize that the actual biography movie of Al Yankovic probably would not be as terribly entertaining. Right. So now let's just go full tilt and just make it as wildly entertaining as possible. So Yeah, I uh, think we could just basically take this review and turn it into like the Chris Farley Saturday Night Live skit where mm-hmm. you say, hey, remember that thing? Remember oh, this. that was so awesome. Because, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll stop at one. I've already We've already talked about a few, but a swimming pool scene um, at Dr. Demento's house. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah. that, that whole. Stretch. Oh, like the scene around the pool. Like, yes. Yeah, there are a lot of cameos, gotcha. which okay. make it kind of cool too, of other yeah. comedians and stuff, but then just where it, it just, it's just good. I think Jack Black <laughs> as Wolfman Jack, that something needs to happen with that. So there should be now a Wolfman Jack version of the movie yeah, okay. with Jack Black in the league. Cause that was just too perfect. Uh, a role there. So I agreed. All right. Well, I'm with you. There's a lot to like here. Uh, it is a very different movie than I think a lot of people might've expected going into it, but I think that works to its benefit and, uh, really enjoyed it. It was a lot. I mean, the biggest thing you can say about a film like this is, was it funny? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. I laughed several times. It was times. very funny. Yes. So yeah, that is weird. The Al Yankovic story right now playing on the Roku channel, which you may say, well, Hey guys, I don't get the Roku channel. Okay, well, it's on a website, so you can just go to the website, the Roku website, and you the big button, you can watch it for free. So it's there, but it is true. There's not like an app that I'm aware of or a way to see it on your Apple TV or other I streaming don't think box. So. I think you're basically on your computer having to watch it there, unless right. you have a Roku device. True. Then you get it for free right away. Okay, so Chris, that was all of our reviews. Sounds like Wakanda Forever. We were mixed to slightly disappointed in our reviews. They are breaking. We were both positive on and really mm-hmm. enjoyed. Weird, we're also both positive on on the film in general and thought it worked for what it was doing for sure. So let's move on to a little retrospective part of the show where you and I talk about recommendations. These could be newer films or they could be older films, but it's something that we want to recommend to the audience as a, something to check out if you have a chance. If you're looking for a film looking for something to, to watch. Uh, hopefully these recommendations might help you here and we each have one to share. So Chris, why don't you go first? I'd love to hear what your recommendation for this episode is of a film people ought to check out. Sure. So we are getting towards the end of the year and different studios have started releasing their Oscar potential films that they hope will get noticed for it. Uh, one that popped up on Netflix uh, that I did not think would be such a film because it's a remake, or it's been done before. Uh, there's now a new version of All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, 2022. It's from Germany, directed by Edward Berger. 
And it tells a story of a guy and some of his friends who have this romantic dream of fighting in a war and, you know, being heroes. They're enlisted in the German army and they get to the Western Front and they see all the horrors of war. And you know, it's dark, um, very realistic, dark depiction of war. So I'd seen, I think, Alan, you actually watched the 1930s version of this film with me at one point we did like oh, yeah. a Labor Day mm-hmm. marathon. So yeah. I'd seen the original uh, 1930 adaptation. I'd read the novel that it was from. So I didn't really, I was like, Oh, you know, there's, a, do I really need to see it again? But I saw some recommendations online and I checked it out and yeah, this thing is masterfully made. Hmm. So it is definitely worth your time. It is a tough set. There are a lot of graphic depic- depictions of war, but it makes interesting commentaries on not only, you know, how horrible war is, of course, but also some of the politics that go on around it and decisions that are made about, you know, people sitting back and saying, oh, yeah, send the soldiers out, <laughs> yeah, as mm-hmm. opposed to the soldiers who are having to go out and having mm-hmm. to go fight. There's there's a lot said about that. So um, that's that's going to be my recommendation. And I believe I don't know if it will be like a if it'll if it can be nominated for like the international film yet, I don't know if Germany will make this their mm-hmm. like film. But regardless of whether it gets a nomination for that or not, All Quiet on the Western Front, new to Netflix, the new version of it, um, I recommend people check it out. Okay, I am I've been curious about this. I need to hear some other people tell me if it's worthy you know, remake uh, to to check out. So it sounds like it is good. Um, so Chris, my recommendation. Uh, let me. Let me give a little background here. Okay. You and I have had a interesting relationship with the director, Tim Burton. Yes. We and have. that you and I, I think I, I'm, I'm speaking for you, but please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. You and I are very, very big fans of, I'd say his 1980s and maybe mid early to mid nineties output. Okay. This is the guy. Remember that we started out where we really got to see him. Pee Wee's big adventure. Mm hmm. Beetlejuice, the original 1989 Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood. At this point, the guy can do no wrong. Correct. He has a string of like six films in a row that were just, for me, defined a lot of 80s or 90s movies. Mars Attacks, I liked, and I've actually come to appreciate even more having seen it okay. like more recently. At the time, I remember it didn't work quite as well for me, but I have appreciated it a lot more. But there was a film that was announced right after Mars Attacks that I was so super excited for. Okay. Do you know which film that was? I don't. I'm trying not Planet of the Apes or Charlie and the Chocolate No, this Factory. was the one right before Planet of the Apes. Okay. I will say other than Big I Fish. I like I like oh my gosh. No, no. Other than Big, Big Fish, Fish. I love Big Fish. Everything after this film I'm about to describe and recommend. Outside of Big Fish, I think everything else starts to go. Off the deep end. You know, I'm not that. I, I Planet of the Apes and Charlie and Chocolate Factory are really one. I think I'm one of the. I'm not saying they're amazing or better than the originals, but definitely Planet of the Apes I liked. And mm. Charlie and Chocolate Factory, I guess I'm just kind of ambivalent. About uh, I didn't care for Planet of the Apes, didn't care for uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Then you had Sweeney Todd, which I did like. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. But, not, but then Alice in Wonderland did oh not. Oh my like. gosh. No. Dark Shadows did not no. like. Uh, Big Eyes, honestly, never seen it. Saw it, but it didn't feel like a Tim Burton yeah. movie to me. Then uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children didn't really work. Dumbo, never saw. Never saw Dumbo either. So what, what one were Sleepy you? Hollow. I need to check that out Yes, again. you do. Because I remember, here's the deal. When Sleepy Hollow was announced, I was super excited. 
Because okay. A, I love the Sleepy Hollow story. It's one of my favorite kind of Halloween, you know, old classic Halloween stories. Uh, Johnny Depp was kind of riding a high at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had not been in a, uh, oh no, he was at, he was in he was Edward Scissorhands. In Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. So he was kind of, he and, he and, uh, he and, uh, Tim Burton kind of had a good synergy going on. Sure. Uh, Christina Ricci was going to be in it and the look of it just looks so great from the trailers and production art that I saw. I'm like, man, this is going to be great. And I remember watching it at the theater. I'm like, I liked it, but I wasn't blown away. Okay. I, I felt a little disappointed. So then that became kind of, to me, a little bit of the downslide of Tim Burton, where it's like, okay, movies are just not quite stacking up like they used to. <laughs> sure. However, I had a chance to go back and review Sleepy Hollow at Halloween. Okay. Because we were looking for a good Halloween film to watch, and this is one that neither my wife or I had seen in so long. Sure. It's like, hey, let's check when, that back so out. So what, what year did it come out? Uh, Sleepy Hollow was 1999. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's been like 23 years. And I watched it. And really, really like it. Okay. I think it's a really good movie. Okay. Um, it's got enough Tim Burton, Tim Burton-ish to it. <laughs> sure. But yet it's also a lot gorier and more violent than I, than I remember. I think it's probably the most violent film he's made. Okay. Um, it definitely was rated R. I don't think he's made that many rated R films, but this one was a lot of head chopping off, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of severed heads. Right. But I thought the film worked. I thought the look of the film was so good. I love the production, the style of the actual headless horseman. Hmm. Um, I don't know. It just worked. The whole film worked for me quite a bit. So I had a good time with it. That Sleepy Hollow is 1999. Um, Might have been the last really good collaboration with Johnny Depp that he had. Other than Sweeney Todd, because that was that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I always forget Sweeney Todd. But Sweeney Todd was good. I did think that was a good film. Yeah. So unfortunately the last, you know, batch of films that Tim Burton's made have been like 75% no good. <laughs> um, and you get the occasional Swingy Todd, which Swingy Todd was still 2007. Mm. So I mean, it's been, it's been a little bit, 15 years. He hasn't made a film since Dumbo. Okay. Um, he is directing four episodes and producing the show Wednesday. Which on is the Netflix. Adams family thing. Yep. Right. Uh, so he's directing the first four episodes of that, which will be interesting to see him doing a, a TV Netflix series for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. And supposedly he's attached to direct Beetlejuice too. Still. <sighs> right. Yeah. That's still like on his list of upcoming projects. So we'll see. I mean, Michael Keaton, if he, well, I'm game for Michael Keaton reprising right. the role. Right. I just, how would it be an interesting enough story? Yeah. I wonder. And does Burton still have enough bite? I think to, to make it work. Would Winona Ryder come back? I don't know, but that would be pretty interesting. Hmm. I okay. mean, really, and even Catherine uh, O'Hara is still oh, around. Yeah. I mean, you've still got some of the characters, yeah. people. Uh, now Jeffrey Jones, who played the husband, uh, he he's fallen out of okay. Hollywood quite a bit for okay. some some issues. Uh, okay. But um, but I know Catherine O'Hara. I know Winona Ryder, and of course Michael Keaton. I mean, you still got Gina Davis. Gina Davis. You still got Alec Baldwin. Well, maybe. <laughs> so I don't know. That might be another one that'd be tough to work in. Wow. So anyway, could huh. be. I, I think it's all up to how Burton takes it, right? Because if it's more of in the Dumbo, Alice in Wonderland, Alice in the Looking Glass side of things, uh, that's that's not. 
that's not where I need him to be. Right. But, but if he can get back some of that mode, I mean, Tim Burns about 65 years old right now, hmm. which is kind of crazy to think about too. It is. So, yeah. Yeah. But for him doing, which the only sequel he's ever done, well, he did Alice in Wonderland, unfortunately. Those he, he didn't actually direct the sequel. He to didn't that. do the sequel. He okay. did not direct the sequel. He produced it. He produced but he it. He did not direct he the sequel. He did two Batman movies. Yes. Did he do both Pee Wee Herman movies? Or no. d- okay. He didn't do Big Top Pee Wee. He didn't do Big Top. Okay. So really, the only sequel he ever did was Batman, Batman. Returns. Okay. Yep. That's it. So for him to come around after not having done Beetlejuice for so long, you would hope that if the decision does get greenlit, that it's it's worthwhile. Hopefully. Hope so. But anyway, that's for the future. We'll definitely be ones to talk about it whenever that comes about or if that actually happens. But my recommendation for now is I do think Sleepy Hollow is a really good movie. Cool. Uh-huh. So a little bit of movie news there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But um, yeah. Sleepy Hollow, just it's a really cool-looking film. And yeah, I just I had a lot of good time with it. So cool. worth checking out, going back and seeing. Uh, granted, I know I'm missing Halloween. Uh, we I didn't recommend it before Halloween. So it's still always a good time to see it. But if you want to table this one until like next October, it's a really great one to watch in the Halloween. Scene. How did, did you, is it on HBO or Netflix? No, or I had you, to rent it. You did have to rent it. Yeah, I, it's not streaming anywhere at all. Gotcha. And unfortunately the rented version available on Apple, um, Apple TV, which I'm sure is the same for Amazon or anywhere about that. It's really horrible looking quality. Oh, like really? it, That's too bad. It's not a remastered version. It's not a good pristine digital. I was actually kind of disappointed with the quality of the, the streaming quality, the, the transfer. Quality. Sure. Yeah. It's like, it looked like almost pretty close to like an old DVD version of it. Um, mm. it's pretty bad, but I don't hold that against the film. That's sure. a, that's a production studio issue. So gotcha. Okay. So our recommendations, the remake of all quiet on the Western front, which is available on what platform? Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then sleepy hollow, which you would have to rent somewhere online. Uh, that's our two recommendations for this episode. And of course we had our three reviews of films. So Chris, as always, if anybody has thoughts, questions, feedback, uh, anything they want to argue with us about any of the three reviews we made, or maybe they want to argue about the two recommendations we gave, who knows, <laughs> you may have some strong feelings one way or another. If sure. you do, or just want to talk to us in general, how do they get a hold of us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. Alan and I are both on Letterboxd, which that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, no E there, where we track what we're seeing and sometimes leave uh, short reviews. If you are still on Twitter, we are also still on Twitter, <laughs> at Foot Candle Film. Do us a favor, uh, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive our podcast to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. Alan did mention our festival at the beginning of the show. Yes, it's already finished in September. But we're already making plans for the one in 2023. But if you are a filmmaker and would like to submit your film, submissions are open. So you can go to Film Freeway and just find Foot Candle Film Festival. And uh, we'd love to try to look at your work. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back soon in the next couple of weeks with another episode with more reviews, more film discussion. Maybe we'll have some movie news to share at that point, too. That could be. be. nice As we're getting closer into the Oscar season. Could be more and more to share as we get closer to the end of the year. So everybody, thanks a lot for listening, and we will talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.